Hi, everybody. It's Allie. And as you know, I'm a teacher. Funny story. I'm teaching virtually right now. And last Thursday, when Katie and I were recording, I left my Teams meeting on in the background. Now, I didn't ruin any minds of any students because obviously it was after school hours and there were no students in the Teams meeting. But what did happen is my microphone has a little bit of feedback on it. It's not terrible, but at some points it can be annoying. So I wanted to pre-apologize and hopefully I will remember to turn it off in the future. Bye. Enjoy the show. You started back at school. I did. It's mayhem. Virtual school. It's going to be okay. Yes. Everybody's going to get used to it. The bugs are going to get worked out of the system, but it's just not what anybody signed up for. Yes. And I feel like teachers have been saying that a lot lately. Yeah. But, you know, one year it's the shooting school shooting yes. seminars, and now it's like the pandemic seminars, and you're like, wow, I just wanted to hang out with kids right. and <laughs> talk about maps. <laughs> <laughs> and now that's just not happening. Nope. But I'm glad I have this because yes. this way I get to actually teach. Yes. This is like the fun uh, what you signed up for teaching podcast. Right. And, and nobody can call out in class. Nobody can call out. Nobody can raise their fucking hand. <laughs> you can curse. You. I mean, we're obviously drinking. Of course. Um. So, yeah, this is like being a teacher, but even better. So much more fun. No <laughs> ethics. There's no ethics. No. This. <laughs> uh, but we're not here to talk about me today. No. We're here to talk about herstory. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women and women that you request from all mm-hmm. times and places because <laughs> women have nuance. Absolutely. But just so you know, we're drinking the entire time. Literally, before we even start, we start yeah. drinking. Yeah, I'm like halfway done my beer right You're now. You're <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, so we're drinking the entire time. We did all this research in a week. So if we make mistakes, just let us know. Just kindly let us know because sometimes we are really patching this together because this season is all requests. So sometimes they're very obscure women who <laughs> there don't might know be anything about. some misinformation about online. And also like uh, the requests are pouring in from people who've never talked to us before. Yes. And that is so cool. We're going to have to do like half a season eight as requests. I know. So many people, <laughs> which feels, it feels really, really good that you guys want to hear about these women. So we like, yes, that. we know you're not requesting us. No, no, you're no, no. requesting <laughs> those women. Yes. Well, and what I love is like, Mine, like last week, we had a connection to a request, like, you know, two weeks before. And then this week, we have a connection in my story to a request we had, uh, like last week. And then it's, and, and a request we had months ago. So I feel like you guys planned a killer season. I like, mean, you're doing I, a really nice job. <laughs> thank you. Because usually Allie and I have to drink like a whole pitcher of margaritas and just sit down Googling women in mm-hmm. order to form our seasons. And we didn't even have to try. I know. It was Fantastic. great. It was all there. I mean, <laughs> it would have been nice to have a whole pitcher of margaritas with We can you, still do but that. Yeah, but yeah, um, <laughs> Okay. So the, the thing is, though, mm-hmm. not everybody can stop and Google our women for this evening. Nope. Absolutely not. You are crocheting right now. I mean, we've already done this before. There's a lot of needlepoint on this podcast. I think it's because of Misty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Long time. 
Patreon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but your hands are really, really busy. Yeah. And I don't know the difference between knitting, crocheting, and crocheting. I feel like there's another one, too. Is there a different needle? I think there's needle point. So there's needle point, there's crocheting, there's, there's cross-stitching. Yeah, the cross-stitch, I understand. It's okay. like the X's. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You know? Um, but, but there's a lot of it. You're doing one of those. <laughs> one of those or all of them at the same time, which and so means you're you, extra busy. You can't Google. <laughs> you can't. Women, you just have to, we have to tell you what they look like. So we we're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing? What does she look like? I'm doing a mole Clooney Ooh. tonight. What a great request. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to do this research. Because yeah. It's like everybody knows like, oh, good international lawyer. But I feel like we don't know enough. Yes. About her. So that was cool. So Amal Clooney is currently a 42 year old knockout. Yeah. She's beautiful. Stunning. So she's 5'9", 119 pounds. Her hair and eye color are listed as black and her hair glistens and her eyes are deep and all knowing. Yes. This woman. Um, Amal was born in Lebanon. So she's Lebanese. Uh, but she immigrated to Britain at an early age. Uh, when you see pictures of her at work, she looks like lawyer Barbie, you know, like she, she's like the, yes. the one that would be in the box with like the little briefcase. Yes. Uh, and I don't mean that in an insult way, like, Oh, she's a Barbie. It's a very positive connotation yes. to like, Oh, she's that Barbie that I would buy off the shelf. She has a very prominent nose, uh, a square jaw and literally a perfect body. Always in a power suit. <laughs> like that's how like people like Coco Chanel probably always wanted women to look in suits. Like, yeah. yes, that's it. That's like the one. that's the one. <laughs> we got it. Okay. So who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Cecilia Payne. Uh, so she has kind of like a flat round face with small wide set hooded eyes. Um, so like you would say like Tigger eyes mm -hmm. um, or John Harbaugh eyes. That's what I the love. previous coach of the Ravens. He's still the coach um, of the Ravens. What? Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just because he fired. Oh gosh, I thought he got impeached. <laughs> <laughs> they let go Joe Flacco, but. Oh, kept that's John why. Harbaugh. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. They started the same year, so. <laughs> Okay, Just maybe that's why I thought that. A little that. confusing there. So who does Joe Flacco play for now? Uh, another team. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I knew. Who are they now? Wacko for, for Flacco? I don't know. He, or are we still Wacko for Flacco? I think we're still Wacko, but he's still on. <laughs> <laughs> he's still Flacco. <laughs> <laughs> and he's unflappable. Yeah, true, 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 true. <laughs> My God, um, the advertising in Baltimore God, R.I.P. his Pizza, uh, Pizza Hut commercials. Those were the best. No, the Papa John's commercials. We gotta post one of those. Those were wild. Oh, God, they're so good. Um, anyways, she has um, <laughs> Flacco eyes, um, a slightly <laughs> John Harbaugh <laughs> eyes, a slightly pointed nose, thin lips, and brown hair that kind of has like a deep part to the side and it's pulled back. She just kind of has like a plain, sincere look because she's got like really important shit to do. Uh, and that's what she looks like. <laughs> that's a beautiful description. <laughs> I've only seen a clip art of her. So really? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I've only Google. seen like the, you know, those pictures that people draw and put up like yeah. Google, Google art. Uh, oh, and another thing I should mention, because it was in the book about her, uh, apparently from a very young age, she was very kind of like tall and thin and willowy, but had like very broad shoulders. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, but that's what she looks like. 
I love it. Mm-hmm. I am ready to go. Do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. It looks delicious. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's a Middle Eastern, a, a typical Middle Eastern drink, but okay. I, I changed it around. Not a Middle Eastern cocktail. Okay. A, so I found this lemonade that you put mint in, um, which is a very like Lebanese thing. Uh-huh. But then I added tea because she moved to Britain, Ooh, like I nice. said, and then some pomegranate liqueur along with rum and then uh, a lime on top oh, so I love it's like it. a, in a highball glass cheers mm. it's just delicious and refreshing it's it's definitely a batch cocktail yes because there's two liquors in here there's rum and pomegranate liqueur and it really just tastes like iced tea <laughs> it's great <laughs> this is what i always want when i get a long island iced tea and it's always trash yep <laughs> I've never gotten a Long Island iced tea. Did you even go to college? <laughs> I feel like not really. <laughs> I felt like I was literally running around with like 30 and 40 year old women when I was in college because that was who I was working with at the restaurant. Mm. So that's who I was like going out and partying with. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'll never forget um, one of them, like we were in her car and we like smoked pot and I'm not a good pot smoker as I think I have said I have horrible panic attacks so I never do it and I had a really bad panic attack and she's driving me home from this club and she has like kids and a husband and a house and like she's driving home like 17 year old me and she's like and I broke her (laughs) and I was like "Uh, Susan I don't want you to panic but I am flipping the fuck out right now. And she goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then she starts panicking. And I was like, it, we literally, the place we were at was maybe 15 minutes away from where she lived and where I lived. And it felt like it took us an hour and a half to get there. It was the worst. Been there. Been there. Uh, don't Been even there know right why now. I said, oh, college. college. Yeah. So that was my college experience. <laughs> Good. Like, don't tell your kids. Corner. That was it. It's like, don't tell your kids you got me high. Yeah. A personal corner with Katie. <laughs> All right. What do you know about Amal Clooney? I know that she's married to George Clooney, um, whose aunt is Rosemary Clooney. Um, I know that she's a lawyer. Um, And that's it. And I really only found out she was a lawyer because your children told me in the kitchen earlier. You didn't know she was a lawyer? No. I knew she was, like, important, but I didn't know what her job was. She's... Like the best lawyer in the world. <laughs> By the, the president of lawyers? BCW, the best lawyer in the world. And I'm not joking when I say that. Perfect. Well, I can't wait to hear. Uh, yeah. So first off, Sophia Graf suggested Amal Clooney. And Sophia Graf, I happen to know because we talk online, lives in the UK. Really? Where Amal was. And Sophia Graff also is our Spanish interpreter for the show, our official official Spanish interpreter. Thank you so much for all you do. Really, seriously. Thank you for taking those evil, evil tweets and, <laughs> <laughs> and translating them for me so I can see what I did wrong. Okay, so Amal Clean. Did I say the name of the drink, by the way? It's Star Adjacent. No way. <laughs> yes, it is. That's what I named it. Mine is named after a star. Well, yeah, but mine's star like George Clooney. Okay, okay, okay. Yours is star like bull like, gas. Yeah. Yeah. 
Perfect. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Amal is, I want to start with this, one of the most powerful and respected international human rights lawyers in the world who happens to be married to George Clooney. Perfect. And it's sad that we only know who she I know. is. <laughs> I was just like, I'm so anti-feminist right now. that I, That's what I'm saying about her. Because of George Clooney. Yeah. But it's cool. We're going to learn today, all of us together. So, and I'm, I will butcher names during this episode because she's represented a lot of like really famous people from all over the world and i just don't know how to pronounce the president yeah. of the philippines yeah name. okay so amal alamundin was born february 3rd 1978 in beirut lebanon her first name in arabic means hope mm-hmm. which i love just so i don't forget to say this among other things she speaks fluent English, Arabic, and French. That's amazing. It is amazing. And I think French is the official language of the United Nations. Yes, it is. So that's why, because yep. she's got to wrap Because it up. when I, I was an international studies major and they were like, I was like, yeah, so I guess I should like, you know, you have to take another language. And they were like, you need to take French because that is the language of international relations. Yeah. Like, because so many people around the world speak it. And you don't realize. And it's very central in Europe. Yes. Too, so, yeah. Okay. So her dad either went to or was a professor at the American University of Beirut. I couldn't quite figure it out. And he is Lebanese Druze, which is a monotheistic Abrahamic religion. And her mom was a the foreign editor of the Pan-Arab newspaper and was a political journalist. She was a Sunni Muslim. Okay. Also, she was part of this company that was called the International Communication Experts. Amal has one sister and then two half-brothers from her dad's first marriage. The reason I brought up her parents' religion is, as you know, Lebanon is not the safest part of the world to mm-hmm. be born in. Uh, And when Amal was two years old, she and her family fled Lebanon to escape the Lebanese civil war that had begun in the mid-70s. Oh, no. So the civil war went from 1975 to 1990 and had 120,000 fatalities. And as of 2012, 76,000 people were still displaced from their homes, from them being destroyed. And about 1 million people had fled Lebanon, like Amal's family, becoming refugees in other countries. So... Her family decides to settle in London, as a lot of Middle Eastern refugees do. They go mm-hmm. to Europe. Um, and she went to Buckinghamshire or Buckinghamshire, I think. It's either Shire or Shire. I can never tell I know, with I have the no British. Idea. <laughs> and Amal tended, uh, attended small schools on the outskirts of London for her life. As an excellent student through primary and secondary school, she earned a scholarship to Oxford University in 1996 when I was meeting producer (laughs) in the fourth grade. Um, While there, she began to rekindle her interest in human rights, knowing that she fled from a country at two years old and then she grew up with, you know, the privilege of being quote unquote British, but knowing that her parents went through the struggle. Right. Yeah. So she earned her bachelor's degree in law from there in 2000. And then Amal decided to enter NYU School of Law to pursue her master's. So she came to the United States. Either while doing this or immediately after, she participated in a distinguished internship being a clerk for 
Sonia Sotomayor. I can never say her name. Sotomayor. Sotomayor. Yes. I can never say Yes. Sonia Sotomayor. So she, before she was a Supreme Court justice, Amal was working under her as a clerk. That's so cool. Yeah. And we've only done one of the four female. Yeah. We've only done RBG. Yeah. But it was just cool that like, as soon as I'm going through her list, it's like, oh, she was working for Sonia Sotomayor. That's so cool. It really is. (laughs) Um, So at this point, she also, this is while she's at NYU, received um, the Jack J. Katz Memorial Award for Excellence in Entertainment Law, meaning that she's going to work with high profile people. That's just what she's going to do. Okay. And she completed her studies in 2002 and went on to pass the New York State Bar Exam. I want to be clear. She passed the bar exam in a country where she was not raised and had to learn the laws from scratch. Wow. Think about that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not like she was passing the bar exam in Great Britain. Yeah. Which she eventually does. But she first gets it in the United States. Right. Because I think that's something that I didn't quite understand until I had friends that were going through the law school rigmarole. Mm -hmm. Like, because my friend was like, I just got married and, you know, my husband is going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a pharmacist or something and a radi- radiation technos- technician person. And she was like, yeah, but we have to really think about where he takes the bar exam because if he takes it here, then we have to stay. But if I get a job in Virginia, then we might, he he's going to have to take it all over again. So it's like not even just like, country wise but literally state. state it's so specific it is i don't know i just teachers i just had no idea your score on your praxis if like so for example my score in maryland has to be a certain level but if i went to new york it would have to be higher so i might have to take it again really even as like an experienced teacher unless you're national board certified which i am so oh. i can teach in every state but cool, cool, cool. if i wasn't then i couldn't uh, okay, so I'm certified to teach through your ears yeah. right now, wherever you are. <laughs> wherever you are. Okay. So after she passed the bar, she goes and works for Sullivan and Cromwell in New York City, which is one of the top-ranked law firms in the world. And she's part of their defense group. She represented ma- many newsworthy clients, such as Enron. <laughs> so Enron strikes a chord with most... Gen Xers and older. I was going to say, this is not hitting a string that I feel like you wanted to hit for me. No, (laughs) I knew it wouldn't hit a string for you. So um, Enron was an American company based in Texas that claimed uh, about $101 billion in revenue in 2001. Uh, And there was a big scandal. This is while I was in high school that this scandal took place. It was probably one of the big news items when I was in high school. Their stock prices were like $90 a share in 2000. And the company knew they were suffering losses and they were hiding it. And then uh, they were telling their employees and the general public, oh, just keep buying stocks. It's going up. It's going to be like 130, 140. So they defrauded the shareholders. Yes. Oh, okay. they defrauded the shareholders. So by 2001, the shares had dropped to $42 and then to $15. And people lost a shit ton of money. And she was on the case that went and like went against fraud and like insider trading. What? against these people and the the people who were in charge of this 
got prison time and had huge payouts, like millions of dollars. To well, the, good. Yeah. That was a terrible well thing good. they did. Oh, my God. <laughs> so everybody now realizing how young Katie is, she does not know Enron. I don't <laughs> Now you know. All. I want you to ask 100 people about Enron. And That's all, like... All I knew... All I knew... In high school, all I understood was that, like, they cheated a lot of people out of a lot of money. Yeah. And I didn't quite understand. But then they went bankrupt. So she's on that case. Then in 2005, she decides she's going to refocus her career all in human rights. And she turns to international law. So she starts to clerk under different judges from around the world. She clerks under somebody from Russia, under somebody from Egypt, under somebody from the UK. And in doing so, she becomes a part of the United Nations Tribunal established to prosecute the people responsible for the assassination of the former Lebanese prime minister. So there was a bomb attack in Beirut in 2005 that killed the prime minister of Lebanon and also Tons of other people were killed as well. There's like 226 wounded and 21 other people were murdered in this attack. And she becomes a part of this international court case for the UN. And they do end up pinning it on one guy. But it was like a real disappointment to all the families because there were so many people and they just got kind of like this one mid-level operative in terms of terrorist attacks. Yeah. So even though somebody went away for it, it, people don't necessarily think it was the quote unquote right person. Right. And after that, she was on the tribunal for the former Yugoslavia. And this was a big deal because in the 90s, there was a terrible civil war in that whole peninsula right above Greece. You know, Yugoslavia, Croatia, Macedonia, Albania, Mm -hmm. Slovenia, all those countries. Um, And it is, I mean, it's now, Yugoslavia is now split into several countries, including Serbia. But there was a genocide there. I mean, Tons, their bodies in the streets. People were oh being God. slaughtered for being in the wrong ethnic group. And she was part of the UN tribunal that helped to prosecute that genocide. Shit. And genocide kind of becomes her thing. She's not cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. She's like, hey, guys, we should probably start like having people pay for this. Right. So is she going to be or is she currently wrapped up in the International Criminal Court? Because um, I know that's like a big space where because it's hard to convict or like you know try people for war crimes and crimes against humanity yeah so it has to happen in this really weird environment in the Hague and like the Netherlands and it's like this is a big it's because how do you just like bring someone down to like the Baltimore City District Courthouse and you're like okay Right. You killed 10,000 people. Right. She's in the international like, like court in Switzerland during okay. this Yugoslavia thing. So like if you're from the United States, the UN headquarters is in New York City. Mm-hmm. But the court, the trials take place in the Netherlands. So there's yes. a big like court case there. Or yeah. Switzerland. Sorry. In Switzerland or the Netherlands. Which uh, one? The Hague is in the Netherlands. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, she's just working with this international all these international trials for war crimes. Yeah. That's like her job. Um, So in 2010, Amal returns to London to work as a barrister, which is a legal representative similar to a lawyer. So Mm -hmm. now she can officially practice law in the UK. Okay. She worked on Downey Street Chambers, which is a firm that has a big history of civil rights work. 
she's a, obviously a human rights lawyer, but I want to be very clear that does not make her a saint. And this takes us back to Olympe de Gouche. There were a lot of articles I found about Amal Clooney that were like, yeah, but she's a defense attorney for some people. And it's like, yeah, that's their she's job. she's a lawyer. Defense attorneys have to defend bad guys sometimes. That's yeah. what they do. That makes it just and fair. Yeah. So I felt like even though like there's some people that she had to make cases for that were bad dudes, like... Well, and I heard something really interesting recently where it's like, you know, it was on last podcast and they were asking like, what is the job of a defense attorney if like the person you are defending is like un like equivocally guilty like what because there was an episode on it's like john wayne gacy who like (laughs) you know he did it there's no question of like whether or not he did it and then a lawyer was like the job then is just to get a a correct sentence the lightest sentence you can for your client Mm -hmm. you know if you you know want to plead insanity you can but it's basically to like save your client's life and it's which is a hard thing to do, but you have to do it. Everyone deserves a fair trial. And it's the only way you can have true justice, yeah. which is what we talked about with Olympe de Gouge. She's yeah. like, I will be the defense attorney for King Louis if you need one. Yeah, and exactly. Like, she didn't fucking like him. No. But she was like, I'll do it because he deserves, I believe in actual freedom, which means justice for everybody gets a lawyer. Yep. So that there was a lot of negative stuff out there about her too. So I wanted to put that into perspective. Yeah. So in 2011, she's part of the arbitration between this company and the Republic of Ecuador. And I threw this one in there for all of our Ecuadorian listeners who we now have. Yes. Because I, just, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know much about this case. All I know is there was UN arbitration between international trade law for the U.S. and Ecuador. So if you guys know more about it, fill me in. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know. So then, like you just said, she's part of the International Court of Justice and the International Criminal Court. She handled several high-profile cases. I'm going to list several of them now Perfect. so that we know what she was a part of and give like a brief uh, recap. So she was the defense lawyer for the former Ukrainian prime minister who was the first female prime minister. She was against having a Russian-led Ukraine and she was very pro EU. But in 2010, a whole bunch of bogus charges came out against her as like the whole like Russia takeover thing is happening. Right. She ends up getting thrown in prison, which I mean, human rights lawyers all over the world were like, this is selective justice. Um, but by 2014, she got let out after only serving three years. So Amal was on that case. Then she worked on the case for uh, Gaddafi's intelligence chief. I know that name. Gaddafi. Yes. <laughs> he, as we know, Gaddafi was a Libyan revolutionary who took over the country and was overthrown, captured, and killed. And she was on the case against, or or with even, the defense chief um, who, you know, is condemned as, like, somebody who took part in global terrorism. So, mm-hmm. like, that's a big deal. Then she was part of the WikiLeaks trial. No way. Yes, she was. <laughs> she was the defense attorney. No, for, really? Yeah. So that there was that with the whole extradition, like to the United States and this, that, and the other. So she re- represented him as his defense attorney after the private U.S. military documents were leaked. Whoa. Which is what WikiLeaks does. Like, that's their <laughs> thing. <laughs> their thing is to leak private documents. I'm not saying oh my gosh, what was that it. person's name? Uh, Julian. Yeah. Estrange or something. Assange. Assange. Julian Assange. Yep, that's it. 
Um, so that's who she was the defense attorney for. <laughs> then she also, and typically when I say defense attorney, it's not one. These are Right, they're teams they're of tribes attorneys. of people. Yes. Massive amounts of people. Yeah. She also represented people like there was a Canadian journalist who was being held in Egypt and sentenced to three years in prison for being a journalist. Whoa. She got that person pardoned by the president. Um, she went on the case of the Nobel Prize winner Nadia Murad, who was kidnapped from her hometown and held by ISIS for three months. I feel like we could just kind of do separate episodes. On- on all, all of her people. cases. I mean, because I don't they're all her... women. A lot of them are women that yeah. have been thrown away. And then a lot of male leaders as well. Yeah. Uh, then she uh, helped to get the, the... So the president of Maldives was thrown in prison with a sentence of 13 years. And she went and spoke at the UN about it to help get, you know, the fight for wrongful imprisonment. And then she represented Greece when they wanted some of their sculptures back um, <laughs> from Great Britain. Like, she was like, hey, these are pieces of the Parthenon. Like, can we get them back, please? Thank you. We want to put them in Greece. <laughs> she was, like, born and raised in, but, well, she wasn't born in ri- Britain, but she was raised there. And she's yeah. willing to say, like, hey, look, Greece deserves these pieces of the Parthenon. Yeah. She's like Indiana Jones. Oh, my God. <laughs> then she went to the Hooded Man case. And this is interesting because there were five deep interrogation methods originally developed by British military that they would use on outlaws, which were wall standing, hooding, subjection to noise, deprivation of sleep, and deprivation of food and drink. And they were used against detainees from Northern Ireland. And she helped to try and get those outlawed, which of those... The subjection to noise is my nightmare. That is a torture for me. If you were to sit me in a room and like just play like a horrible noise over and over again, I, I would go insane in 24 minutes. Well, yeah, I almost had to turn off the center because in season two, they have these like, uh, it's like a, a a story about a cult basically. Mm -hmm. And they do these like therapy work sessions and they put a metronome on the whole time. And it is the worst. Also, I had such intense nightmares while watching it. I had to spoil the show for myself by Wikipedia um, searching the ending. We started watching it. Don't tell me. It's so good. Producer and I started watching but, it. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I literally had to spoil it for myself because I was having nightmares every night. Shout out to Jessica Biel. <laughs> Jessica Biel's amazing. She really is. We said this like an episode ago. But she's perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah, of those, I, I really think noise is the worst. I think sleep, food and drink, they suck, hooding, wall standing. But it's kind of like the same thing when um, they were outlawing waterboarding. You remember that during the early Obama years? Yes. It's just there are certain torture methods that people are trying to say, listen, against human rights you can't do it yeah which is uh not funny at all but like casey accuses me of having waterboarded myself when i was a child <laughs> because we didn't have air conditioning in my house so what towel i on would your face? i would put a towel over my face and just pour jugs of water over myself <laughs> because i was so hot because we didn't have air conditioning <laughs> I am not. Listen, if you ever get captured, I'm going to tell them, don't use waterboarding. <laughs> I mean, I was like telling Casey about this. He goes, Katie, you waterboarded yourself. That's not okay. Like, what, not what is wrong with you? <laughs> That's horrible. Also, I probably had so much mold in my bed. Like, what is ha- I was Oh, yeah. I didn't even think the water's pouring on your mattress. all over my mat. I would lay a wet towel on my bed and just sleep on that's so funny. Ew. 
Uh, still don't have central air to this day. Me either. That's <laughs> gross. Don't need it, obviously. <laughs> I have my towels. I have waterboarding. <laughs> so then there are some uh, Azerbaijan journalists that were wrongfully imprisoned. And she was a journalist and a radio host. And things she was saying on her radio show made the government mad at her and then she starts putting out these notices like hey guys if i'm arrested the government's coming after me like if i'm arrested here's what you do so amal went on that case too and her sentence was originally much longer but it ended up being three and a half years but she still to this day is subject to travel bans or at least from what i was reading this journalist radio host wow. in azerbaijan so she also acted in the role of advisor in her courtroom work. So those are some of the big cases, but also like she helped out on the commission on Syria with the UN um, Kofi Annan, which was like super important for the UN. She was also on the UN council during the 2013 inquiry into the use of drones into counter terrorist activities. Then she contributed to the global summit to end sex violence in conflict initiative, defending the rights of women in war zones. Whoa. Like you cannot just come in and, you know, take over these cities and then rape all these women, like not cool. Mm-mm. So she's fighting for that. Then she represented the, Armenia in general uh, in the European Court of Human Rights because in the 1920s, Turkey or the Turks, not Turkey itself, but the Turks had uh, committed a genocide against all these Armenian people and killed like 1.5 million of them and they hadn't acknowledged it. So she worked on this case to get them to acknowledge the genocide that they had committed. And then uh, in 2015, she helped in a case... Uh, against the president of the Philippines and the U.S. commission. And I don't know. The president of the Philippines was in jail. You guys can tell me. I don't know. The point is she's worked on everything from cases in Cambodia and Libya and Bahrain and like countries all over the world. A lot of terrorism, a lot of war crimes, a lot of wrongful imprisonment. Yeah. That's her thing. While she's doing all these cases, she's also teaching other people how to do it so she lectures on criminal law at the university of london and at the academy of international law she's a visiting faculty member at columbia law school she works at the university of north carolina she's worked at the law school of the orient and african studies and she's also worked at the new school in new york city so she has lectured and does lecture at those places and she's not just going out and practicing law and teaching law she's forward thinking enough to know that like hey i have to make sure other people can do this so she goes and gives speeches for example she gave speeches to syrian refugees where she said my family also ran away from a war and were lucky enough to be accepted by a european country in 1982 she's talking about this because the european union is you know there's a lot of places who are trying to cut off refugees and right now you know there's a lot of syrian refugees living in greece and there's like a big um you know there's like population issues and tax issues so she's in pro that and then um when there's no court case she advocates publicly for groups for example there are specifically yazidi women and that's a religious minority group in the Middle East that's subject to genocide at the hands of ISIS. And she goes on record saying, if Syrian President Bashar Assad is prosecuted for war crimes, I'd be delighted to work <laughs> on it. Delighted. Delighted. <laughs> I will take him down. Um, 
She also spoke at the United Nations before a whole group about um, ISIS commanders and rape, trafficking, and genocide towards women in these war-torn countries. And I sh- I'm sure she constantly thinks, what if that was me? Well, you yeah. know, she was in Lebanon as a baby, little, little baby girl. Yeah. And I think about that a lot because I know um, our sister-in-law, Maria, was born in Guatemala, which has one of the highest rates of femicide in yeah. the world. And she doesn't like to really think about or talk about her birth mom because she's like, either A, I was stolen and sold to the United States. B, my birth mom's probably dead or murdered because that right. happens to a lot of women in Guatemala. And, um, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where if you look back at your life, you're like, whoa, that could have been me. And she's yeah. probably horrified. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So it's now just... the part everybody likes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> George, George, George. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Already a star in the legal world, Amal became involved with superstar single bachelor George Clooney when she was 36 and he was 53. I just want to say, I feel like he knows how much better she is than him. He knows he won. He know like, I feel like people have always thought about like, who's going to be the lucky girl to marry George Clooney. And no one was asking the better question, which is who is the lucky girl that George? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly. What Do you, you know mean, what I'm like, trying to say? Yeah. Like who, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, her that's like so lucky for getting to marry George Clooney. It's like he's so lucky for having met her and because I give she's him amazing. So much respect. It actually reminds me of your cousin Dan, who <gasps> yes. people were like, "Why isn't he married yet? His standards are too high. What's the deal?" And then he's like, he meets the girl, and he's like, "This is the girl. This is why I waited. <laughs> this is the one that I really." like and i think it's really interesting that he's very into her brain all he oh always says about her is she's the smartest person i've ever met that's what george <laughs> clooney always says she's so smart i just think he needed somebody to like fulfill that need of like deep discussion and like yeah because i'm sure as a star it's really hard for people to look past yeah. who you are and she was like big enough for him yes so much so that she's bigger yeah she is him, bigger than him yeah which is incredible so They met at a charity event in Italy in 2013, and apparently, you know, they had a discussion that night, whatever, and he asked for her number. She refused to give it to him, (laughs) playing hard to get. She, like, does not care, or she was probably like, no, this man's never going to call me. He's a bachelor. That's his his MO. He's a single bachelor. And he ends up getting her email address, and he woos her through a number of flirty emails. Things like, this is a quote, I think the reported hottest man in the world should meet the hottest human rights lawyer in the world. Like, <laughs> oh you think like that. It's so, like, vomit-worthy. George. But I love it. <laughs> George. <laughs> um, he was so taken by her, he said, as soon as he met her. He said this on Ellen. As soon, H-O-T-R-L-M. As soon as I met her, I knew I was spending the rest of my life with her. Like, oh I was God. blown away by her. She's the smartest person I've ever met. And just like we said, a man like George Clooney isn't just wooed by anybody. So a year later, they married in the country where they met in Italy. <sighs> she wore a white pantsuit to her civil ceremony. <laughs> I love In the that. city town hall. And she looks a banging. And then the full wedding was a star-studded world affair with actors and politicians and Anna Winter. <laughs> so question, George had never married. No. 
it's both of their first marriages. That's incredible. Yeah. That's really interesting. I know. <laughs> they both, both of their first marriages, um, she wore an Oscar de la Renta dress with mm. beads and crystals and 14 yards of lace. And in their first uh, move as a married couple, they decided to donate their wedding pictures to a human rights charity. <laughs> so they said, hey, listen. Are you fucking kidding we me? We know we're going to get a ton, shit ton of money for these. So every cent of it goes to the, the human rights got to give them to the highest bidder. I love that. I know. What? A fantastic way to be like, I know. And, and it's not just like a direct, because then it gives them almost more control of the money. Right. Like, okay, let's see how much money we can get. For these and photos. it's not like, we're going to give this campaign $10,000. It's like, no, you can have them, do whatever you want with them. Like, they're in my photo album at home, so that's fine. Like, I, we all both look great. So like, there's... <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no bad side to that. And what a combination of their careers. I'm a super yeah. famous star. You're a human rights lawyer. Let's do this. And anyway, People was the highest, highest bidder. So. Of course they were. <laughs> of, course, of, course of course they, they were. were. <laughs> Who do we think it was going to be? The National Enquirer? I was thinking uh, Marie Claire. <laughs> so, Anna Wintour was like, I was there. I have the footage on my cell phone. I don't need I to buy them. I the picture. I have, she has a Vogue cover yeah. story with me. Um, so then they don't move into the United States. They move into like a an estate on a small island in the Thames River in London. So they're in her home country. And she also makes time away from all of her lawyering for, like I said, teaching and court cases, but also like to go to George's things. She shows up at every red carpet event with her husband, and she's becoming, because of that, one of today's style icons. And in 2015, George received a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Golden Globes. And in his speech, he said, it's humbling to find someone to love, especially when you've been waiting your whole life, especially when your whole life is 53 years. Amal, whatever alchemy brought us together, I couldn't be more proud to be your husband. That is so nice. <laughs> and oh not I God. couldn't be proud that you're my wife. I couldn't be more proud to be your husband breaks my heart that's beautiful oh my god so they've done so much together as well they met with the pope to discuss the plight of refugees and then after the tragic shooting at florida's marjorie stoneman douglas high school in february 2008 the couple threw their weight behind the march for our lives demonstration and planned with them for months and their statement came out saying, our family will be there on March 24th to stand side by side with this incredible generation of young people from all over the country. And in the name of our children, we're donating $500,000 to help pay for this groundbreaking event. And in doing so, it created a domino effect of Hollywood stars like Oprah and Steven Spielberg and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who also declared that they were going to donate $500,000. Oh, my God. In February 2017, reports surfaced that Amol was pregnant and expecting twins. <gasps> she gave birth to a boy and a girl, Ella <coughs> and Alexander, on June 6, 2017 in a London hospital, the first children for both Amal and George. 
Ella and Alexander. What classic names. They're so British. They are. It's perfect. I love that. I also love that they were just like, let's just knock this out in one go. Let's just have twins, one of each, and it'll be perfect. We're the perfect family, aren't we? (laughs) Aren't we? We're a power couple. I also didn't know that they had kids. Yeah. They had just recently. I mean, the kids are older now, but that's how George Clooney has always been very private about Mm. his life. Mm -hmm. Um, So they released a statement from George. George Clooney's publicist that said when they had the kids that said this morning, we welcomed Ella and Alexander Clooney into our lives. Ella, Alexander and Amal are all healthy, happy and doing fine. George is sedated and should recover in a few days. Oh. <laughs> because he's just like the classic bachelor. <laughs> just oh like you can't gosh. handle the kids. I love it. It's so very sweet. So also, there should have been two Oxford commas in that release, and there were none. <laughs> I was really, I was like, she went to Oxford. You're in the country. Oh, my, oh my God. God. You idiot. You should have oh. let her write the press release. Yeah. <laughs> PR. Okay. So more recently, in 2019, Amal was appointed to the special envoy on media freedom from the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office. In 2019, she sh- secured the release of two journalists from Myanmar. In 2020, she began to represent Maldives in pursuing justice for their people in the UN International Court of Justice. But my favorite thing is in 2015, when George made that beautiful speech about her, the host of the Golden Globes was Tina Fey, HOTR alum. When she announced George to come up and get his award, she said, George Clooney married a mall this year. Amal is a human rights lawyer who worked on the Enron case, who was an advisor to Kofi Annan regarding Syria, and was selected for a three-person UN commission investigating rules of war violations in the Gaza Strip. So tonight, her husband is getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Amal Clooney's story, everybody. <laughs> that is so perfect. I had to end on that. That was... <laughs> Tina Fey, everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so great. That's a Mal Clooney story. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, a lot of that in the beginning was political jargon, but yep. we had to get through it we to get to the, to get to to get the George it. the George effect. I honestly feel like it's hard to do lawyers because I feel like if you're not a lawyer, you don't quite get the work because I know I don't. I'm like, my reference points are like Miranda from Sex and the City. I'm like, okay, I see that. Mm -hmm. But like, it's, it's a lot of work that I don't understand. And it's just incredible that she has been... I don't know. She like you have to be so smart to be her. And she, I mean, <laughs> she's she, so smart. That's exactly right. She knows the laws of all these countries. She's yeah. so intelligent. Yeah, and she has to know previous court cases to back up everything. She, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's like, well, you know, in this case in Lebanon, when this happened, this happened. You know, this is whatever, whatever lawyers do. She does it all over the world, which and, is incredible. And I incredible. mean, all you can do is back, back it up with the Geneva Convention. It was written in like yeah. the 1940s. It's like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. But it just, I knew she was a lawyer and I knew she worked with the UN, but I had no idea the extent that she has been. You know how we're pissed about Trump every day? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Can you imagine being pissed about every crime in the world all the time? No, I can't. That's what she deals with. That's what she's doing. She's just pissed about everything all the time. (laughs) 
Well, me too, but in a different <laughs> way. So, are you All ready right. for more drinks? I'm ready for more drinks. Let's do it. Let's do it. That was a wild ride. Yes, it was. <laughs> We just had a whole TV extravaganza. Um, yeah, producer needed our help, so we took a little bit bigger of a break than normal. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you don't know that, but we know that, and now we're both sweating. Uh, we just have to do a little bit of hemming and hauling. Exactly. I would say that is 100% the most correct description of what we just did. Um, I hated it. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. And I'm wearing pants because I have my period right now, and... I don't know if you know. Did I tell you about what has changed in my period life no, recently? No. Um, I get hot flashes now when I get my period. You're getting close and to 30, honey. it is. <laughs> the worst, right? I wake up with night sweats. And this happened during a pandemic. So the first couple times it happened, I thought I had COVID. And then like, but I would take my temperature and I didn't have a fever. And then I got tested and I didn't have it. So I was like, what the fuck is this? Why do I? And then I was thinking about it. And I was like, well, I only get them during my period. (laughs) And then I looked it up online and I was like, oh, this is very common. And again, I didn't sign up for this. (laughs) I didn't want the night sweats to be happening. Uh, It's really it's really really bad and the worst thing about things that happen when you have your period is you don't realize it for like six months yeah you're like oh now i I get it there's a pattern there's a pattern but sorry about that sorry about that uh that was period corner i'm getting a lot of personal corners tonight and i do apologize i get sweats when producers pissed off it makes me nervous yeah. When he's I, stressed, I get stressed. Well, because he's always the cool cucumber so in the calm. room. He's so calm. He's so calm. He is the most <laughs> even-keeled person I've ever met in my entire life. It, it's it's kind of like when my mom gets stressed. Like, she's... You would think that she was smoking doobies all day long. Mm-hmm. She is just like, whatever. Like, we can be late. Like, I don't care. And I'm like, we can't be late, actually, at I'm someone's wedding. Like, <laughs> um, anyways, but yes, it's very stressful. Um, the studio is tense tonight. It is tense. <laughs> I want to know what we're drinking. Okay, so this is called Cecilia's. Cecilia's Stardust Shandy. Okay, I made another Shandy. Of course you did. Of course you did. It's fine. So this is vodka, orange juice. I made a basil rosemary simple syrup. And then, so you shake all that up together. And then I put fresh basil in the shaker too to give it more of an herby taste. Uh, You shake it up, pour it into a glass, and then you top the whole thing off with a nice cold blue moon i need to know something before i drink it yes is it called cecilia's stardust shandy or is it called cecilia's stardust shandy colon okay i made another shandy (laughs) (laughs) uh for the sake of me posting next tuesday cecilia's stardust shandy (laughs) i was hoping for the colon (laughs) maybe i'll put it in a story Cheers. cheers it's great 
delicious. I love it. I love that you can taste the basil right away. Yes, which is good because sometimes I feel like when I do like and you know stuff with herbs, it doesn't really come through. Like I think a- we need to get producer to be stressed more often because it's been yes. soaking. This is the basil's <laughs> been soaking. Yeah, we made the cocktails and then we had to help producer. So this has been, yeah, this has been ruminating. This is a this witch's podca- this, this cocktail. <laughs> okay. Mm. Uh, so Cecilia Payne. Yeah. What do you know about her? Here's what I know. Okay. I know that Dr. Misty Benz, mm-hmm. Patreon official scientist of the show, requested this woman. Yes, she did. So I'm going to bet 10 to 1 <laughs> she's an astronomer. You're incorrect. No, no! And I'm just kidding. You're absolutely oh, yeah, right. Okay. You're absolutely right. Like, she's an astronomer. <laughs> yes! She okay. is like the best astronomer ever. Okay. Wait, what? She's the best astronomer ever. I thought Misty Benz was the best astronomer ever. I mean, yes, currently. Okay. (laughs) She took this title from Cecilia Payne. Okay. So she's like, Cecilia Payne is like posthumously. Yes. (laughs) Best astronomer emeritus. (laughs) These are words that I don't want to know anymore. Okay. Tell me her life. Tell me what she... We learned about outer space because of our... Don't we know more about outer space than we do in, about the bottom of the ocean? Probably, yeah. Where's our oceanographers? We, I need an we, oceanographer. Yeah. Yes, please. I would love to Somebody have an me. excuse to find out what's down there. <laughs> um, so I got this from uh, my sources. Um, so there was a Scientific Odyssey podcast that went into a lot of detail about some personal stuff later. Um, her like there every different source I had had different things to say about various periods of her life and then they totally ignore the others so I was doing a lot of puzzle piecing this week so um, they uh I got a lot of information from them and then of course as usual um the first three chapters that were free on Amazon of the book what stars are made of which features a foreword by none other than Jocelyn Dalbernell she wrote the foreword to the book about Cecilia Payne. Listen, if you Listen. aren't going to be finding <laughs> quasars and pulsars, then what are you doing? What are you doing? I only know what those things are because of this podcast. I know. Me too. Thank you, Misty Ben. I'm learning. Um, so Cecilia Helena Payne was born into a very warm and loving household on May 10th, 1900 in Wendover, England. And I love that she's born in 1900. So that way, everything that happens in every year, no you math. know exactly how old she is. No math. No math. And if there's one thing we love in this show, it's no math. It's the so, absence of math. <laughs> uh, her father, Edward Payne, was a well-to-do, extremely intelligent man with a great many talents. He was a barrister. He was an accomplished musician. And like people around town would like hire him to do concerts for them. Like he was a really talented musician and he was an accomplished historian. Like he like wrote books about historical events that happened that were really published and like renowned. Like he is just, he's a really interesting person. Um, but when he was 55 years old, he started to look around and he got kind of bummed because he didn't have anyone to come home to or to share it with. So he set off to find himself a wife and he found one in 33 year old Emma Pertz. 
He said he absolutely could have found someone younger looking for a wealthy older man, but he wanted a mature woman. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> oh, come on. But he wanted a mature woman who was ready to settle down. And when he saw Emma at an event wearing her hair up in the fashion of a woman who was already betrothed, he was like, okay. Let's approach. She's ready to be like serious, you know. She's thirty three. That's how old I am. For That's another true. month and a half. <laughs> Not to toot my own horn. It's the perfect um, age. Is what is. he's saying. He's it's like, what oh. he's saying. A thirty three old woman is in her absolute prime. Um, so <laughs> I'd probably say that about any age woman uh, we've done we on this podcast. She's that. in her prime. She's, she's seventy eight. She's in her prime. That's when she kicked. Yeah. <laughs> so uh emma was the daughter of a prussian military officer and she was indeed a mature confident woman who was also a very skilled painter like she also had her own fucking talents okay Seriously. um the two met and felt that they were a good match so they married in 1899 and they were a really good match they really liked each other but more importantly they respected each other Emma had actually turned her painting into a career. She never felt good enough to sell her original artwork, but she was a master at copying artwork. So she was paid to come into a gallery three times a week and make recreations of famous art for people. Because you didn't have like prints back then. You couldn't just go to Ikea and be like, yeah, I like that. I'm going to buy it. Like art was commissioned. Art was in galleries. Art was in museums. Like it was not a thing that a lot of people could commonly afford. It was like before the printing press with books. Yeah. Like somebody had to write it. Right. Also, Someone had to write every copy. about the year they got married? Yes. That's the year this house was built. <gasps> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting in their life. We are. This is exactly it. Um. So... She was painting these recreations and her husband was really fucking proud of her. One of her best pieces was a romantic landscape by the artist J.M.W. Turner. And when Edward saw when Edward saw it, he said, well, Turner improved upon nature and my wife improved upon Turner. Oh, he loved that. She had a career and was good at it. Like he wasn't like, "Uh, excuse me, we have three kids, so you need to be home. Like, he was like, yeah, of course. Like, we'll arrange it. Go to the gallery. Do what you need to do. Like, There are boys that don't do that now. Exactly. (laughs) And in 1900, they had their first daughter, Cecilia. Here she is. Here she is. Coming into the world. Little Cece. Cece. So two years later, they had a son named Humphrey. And in 1904, they had their second daughter, Lenora. Her and her siblings were all very bright. But her parents said that Cecilia was different. She was relentlessly relentlessly curious locating and identifying stars and constellations before she could read and i mean this girl there's like this famous story where she goes out into a garden and she's like mom oh my gosh there's a bee orchid outside and she's like how do you know what a bee orchid is you've never seen one like they don't exist around here and she's like yeah but you told me about it like a couple years ago and like the description really matched this plant outside so i think it's a bee orchid and she went outside and she was like well, there you go. There's a bee orchid in our garden. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Number one, how did that get there? And number two, how did she identify it? Like, well, Cece's being wild. Cece's being wild in the garden. So, that reminds me of the movie Beaches. Have you seen Beaches? No. What is that? 
Uh, it's a movie with Bette Midler where mm. she's like poor and like lives under the boardwalk and is like a, a girl singer girl and she, her name's Cece but then oh. her, her friend she's friends with like a rich girl and the rich girl dies it's a horribly sad story but Beaches watch it I will I love Bette Midler her name's Cece so um, <laughs> so Popsy as she called her father fostered every bit of her curiosity. He spent many hours playing music and just making sure that she felt heard. So like they spent a lot of time playing music together and he wanted to teach her about that. So she actually almost became a musician because of this like early onset. And apparently she had perfect pitch which is really hard to do. Like Christina Aguilera? Yes. (laughs) She has perfect pitch, which is just a fun little fact. Um, But when Cecilia would get upset at something, Popsy Edward would always suggest the same thing. He'd say, let's go for a walk and talk about it. Oh, that's sweet. Which is the best. And one day she was really upset because her uncle came to visit and he took Humphrey on this really fun carriage ride and she was like okay and she went to go with them and he was like you can't come you're a girl and this is like a grown fucking adult man like uh no no girls allowed in the carriage she had his little sign outside the yeah house. exactly no D-bag. girls allowed no girl um and Cecilia obviously got super upset, especially because she's the oldest sibling. Right. And so she and her dad went on a walk where they actually ran into the carriage on its return. And her dad flagged down the carriage and told them to make room for one more, lifting Cecilia in so she could go on the last little bit of the ride, which she described as seventh heaven. <laughs> Literally, that's what she said in her biography. <laughs> I mean, it's really your dad poop pooing on your uncle is yeah. what it is it's not the ride it's mm-hmm. the it's the just it's all of it it's all of it yeah i see that with um my younger daughter mm. she hates injustice yes hates it and will throw a hissy fit oh my gosh i did the same thing until she gets it but not really like mm, social injustice i was more like just petty injustice yeah we have to talk about lebanon um that's all i said when i was a child um so she said that her, her childhood was like a storybook she adored her parents and would spend her evenings waiting for her father to come home and he would greet her and her brother humphrey with candy and little trinkets and everyone just knew each other in the neighborhood they lived in kind of like a suburb outside of london and And she just was really, really happy. But of course, tragedy was around the corner. No, no, no. I don't want this part. I know. Turn it off. Turn it down. The day after Christmas, December 1904, the worst. I I know because my brother's house burnt on that day too. It's a horrible day for bad things to happen. It was a bad day. Edward Payne was found dead in the Wendover River. Just dead. He's just dead in a river the day after Christmas. His hat and his umbrella were like on this bridge and he was dead in the river. Did he jump? So to this day, no one is quite sure what happened, but many people believe that he had a heart attack and collapsed falling off the bridge into the cold water below. But then people, some, like some people think it's suicide. Yeah, I think some people do. But that happened to my uncle. Did you know that? No. He had a heart attack while he was driving (gasps) and pulled off and died. My mom's oldest brother. Oh my God. And it was reported as a suicide (gasps) at first. And everybody's like, 
that's not what happened. Um, so the the paper had to like recant the story. I, Allie, I cannot express how long I have known you, and I did not know this story. It happened like four years ago. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. What uncle? Uh, um, my, you know, Bobby three, the yeah. one with twins. Yeah. That oh his dad. I had no idea. I know. That's how my uncle died. Same situation. That's they don't even know. Uh, I know I'm talking about it very lightly. It's a very yeah, sad yeah, situation. Yeah. But yeah, that it's a very weird thing that I've never heard of somebody else having the heart attack, suicide, yes. flip-flop. Well, and that's the thing because Emma was trying to say to people, she goes, no, like he's been complaining about like dizziness and chest pains for years. Okay. Like, I don't think it was that. And like, so the most likely scenario is that he, that that's what happened. And in the Thames River? Uh, like Wendover river. river. So it was Wendover. like a smaller like river running through this okay. town. So it was like more of a canal. Okay. So, um, so dirtier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, Cecilia is devastated. And so was Emma. She had two children and a newborn baby and was suddenly on her own. She had three kids and her husband dies the day after Christmas. Horrible. I cannot believe that. And oh, her sucks. her widow's pension like wasn't much, but Emma, the master of imitation, made do with what she had, and she was able to mimic a traditional upper class Victorian lifestyle, sending the children to nice schools, taking them to classical concerts whenever she could. She never made them feel like your tragic like orphans. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? She was like, no, everything's fine because that's what she did. She was just like, no, we have to pick up, we have to keep going. Everything's fine. I'm fine. You're fine. Everybody's We're all fine. fine. So, and she was not. She was devastated. She loved him. Of course. She she loved him. So, she started, uh, Cecilia started attending a small private school in their neighborhood that was run by a young woman named Elizabeth Edwards. And it was here that Cecilia learned not only how to read, but also how to read French and Latin and do basic algebra and geometry. Okay. She was far ahead of the other students, but unfortunately, she was left handed and spent many many frustrating years trying to correct herself. And I'm sure every left-handed person is like screaming right now, but I had no idea that Southpaws were so discriminated against for such a long time. Apparently, it was an official policy to make kids right-handed in schools until the late 60s, the 1960s. My dad was corrected. Really? They switched his writing to the right hand. What the fuck? He's like, I was born left-handed, but they didn't let me. It's something that I can't even imagine because it's like, why do you fucking care? Oh, my God. Your pencil smudges on the palm of your hand, Katie. (laughs) Shut up. I knew that from the Samantha books. Um, No, (laughs) the Samantha books. (laughs) Samantha Parkington told me. Um, uh, Yeah, that's her last name. Okay. But it's, it's flabbergasted. That's flabbergasted. I mean, my younger daughter is left-handed, and from the time she was born, I would hand her crayons once she wasn't going to put them in her mouth and die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she would, I would hand it to her right hand because that's in my brain how she should write, and she right. would switch it yep. and start writing. And I was like, before she even went to school, I was like, this girl is left-handed. I it's it's funny that you mentioned that too because I had such specific memories of her being like an actual baby and being like, I think she's left-handed. Yeah. Because she always did. She always grabbed things with her left hand. Yeah. And my dog is left-handed. When you ask her for a paw, she only gives the left paw. I'm really trying to picture my dog's paw in my head now. Go practice. We'll 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 t- we'll we'll update everybody. We're gonna determine 
right after this if Mary the dog is left-handed or right-handed. You'll find out. <laughs> You'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, my dog is a... When Casey told me that, I fucking cried. He a left-handed so, pooch. He was so cute. He goes, I think Stella's left-handed. I was like, shut up. I'm obsessed with that. He's so cute. Beyonce Knowles. Get out Beyonce of here. Beyonce Knowles needs to get out of here. Um, but yeah, proud left-handed parents. Um, <laughs> you and I. <laughs> Both of us together. <laughs> so, uh, but of course, in learning how to be right-handed, all she really learned was how to be ambidextrous and not only right left-handed and right-handed but forward backward and upside down <laughs> this girl's fucking crazy yo she could make those things that they made in the um, da vinci code no in uh the one before that the da vinci code prequel where there's city the, of angels a- angels angels and demons, and demons. <laughs> city of angels i think is a television oh show. my gosh also I, I know we talked about it but i do want to thank astronomisty Dr. Misty Benz for requesting this because this research was wild (laughs) and she's a really great person. So thank you. She's perfect. You always request great people, but we were going to have lunch with her before the pandemic happened and then the pandemic happened. happened. So one day come up from Georgia one one day, day, but don't bring, don't bring the South Georgia illness up. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? I don't know. Who am I? So I feel um, like they don't wear masks in Georgia. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, apparently not because Casey's grandfather died down there because of coronavirus. Prove me wrong, so Georgia. Prove me wrong. <laughs> wear your masks. Um, so da 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 da. But the more time Cecilia spent in school, the more time she spent questioning things. She started to have a hard time drawing lines between science and religion. And one day she asked Ms. Elizabeth. Ms. Elizabeth, I also want to point out, mm. uh, why Jesus was not a woman. <gasps> and Ms. Elizabeth said, well, if he was a woman, he wouldn't have been able to accomplish as much as he did. And that did not satisfy Cecilia. I mean, fair point, though. Fair point. <laughs> fair so, point. It was 1 AD. <laughs> 30, and 33 AD. Yeah. And this really started her path of being like, I feel like I need to ask more questions about this. So one day she did an experiment. And she had, she was like, I have six tests tomorrow. I am going to pray over three of them. And I'm going to not pray over the other three. And I'm going to, she did an experiment. She's going to study for the other three? No, she studied for all six. She prayed that she would do well on three. So the unprayer is the control group. The unprayer is the control group. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And she did better on the one she didn't pray over. And she decided in like elementary school that she was agnostic. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> it's a wild little experiment. I need but a bigger sample size. I know, we- <laughs> Cecilia. Wow, I love it. I love that. Even like okay, so even if the study is disjointed, right? Because maybe she secretly wanted to do better on the ones that she didn't pray over to mm-hmm. prove her point. Even if she is teaching herself a lesson, she's yes. finding herself yes. in, in this little experiment. Yes, I, she is. I do love that. That's very cute. She's very precocious. Um, I did studies in middle school too. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? I had a friend. Okay. We went to private school. You weren't allowed to wear makeup or jewelry. Yes. I had a friend. Her name's Satara. I was going to say Satara. <laughs> 
had a friend, Satara Watson, who had like 17 earrings, and every day she would get a demerit for wearing all these earrings. So I was like, okay, so one day I was like, I'm going to put on a WWJD bracelet and see what mm-hmm. happens. And then nothing. And then the next day I put on another one. And then <laughs> How I, many WWJD bracelets did you have? Uh, Katie? <laughs> Let's ask anybody in our eighth grade class, Jake Riennan. Riennan. Uh, I, I wore mean, them up to my elbow, and I was never told to take them off. And the whole point was that's discrimination, right? Why are you gonna fuck with this girl's earrings and not on. with my what would Jesus do bracelet? Come on, I do remember we had the we had the what would Jesus do board game at our house. Which I, <laughs> no, we need to play. We need to do. Oh my gosh, we need to do a round table where we dig that up and play it live on the podcast. Can I play it with? Can we play it with hashtag history? Yes. Oh my god. Oh my, beyond reproach. All yes. this together. <laughs> Jesus. W I just, W J D. Okay. <laughs> What would Jocelyn Bell Burnell do? What would Jocelyn Bell Burnell do? Um, Write a book about Cecilia Payne. Okay. Fuck, I'm sweating again. Um, Again, she didn't write the book. She did the foreword. But I didn't note who wrote it because I'm a bitch. No, who Um, cares? I feel bad. I should also include that. Uh, Who cares? So she does because she spent so many years researching her. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Okay. Okay. Where am I? So, Cecilia may have not always agreed with her teacher, but her eagerness to help Cecilia in her studies made a huge impact on her. And it's why it was really difficult for Cecilia when Emma announced that the family was moving to London in order for Humphrey to get a better education. The younger brother. So we're going to move schools. We're moving schools. We're moving towns. And she's really sad because she felt really close with Ms. Elizabeth. And uh, she actually dedicated one of her books to her, which is so sweet. Very sweet. That's every teacher's hope that it's like when you grow up, I'm your muse. I know. I told uh, one of my customers one time who would, he was writing his doctoral thesis in my cafe. And I told him, I was like, you better fucking mention me in your acknowledgments. (laughs) Uh, I don't think he did. No, I have. A, have you seen it? He might have. There's a maybe full, he did. There's like a full page there's and a half of a portrait of me in there. Um, <laughs> there's a line drawing. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Gosh, I'm only on page two. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. No, no, no. This is fantastic. Anytime we can bring up Satara, I'm stoked. Um, you know, she friended producer on LinkedIn recently. No. She's in bioscience. I'm sorry. I'm done. No way. I'm done. Yeah. Okay. We'll discuss that afterwards. <laughs> um, she also has a baby now. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. So, Cecilia is 12. They leave the countryside for the big city, and she's not happy about it. Well, there's so much light pollution. How's she going to look at stars? So much light pollution. She can't look at the stars. And the St. Mary's strict Catholic girls' school that she was enrolled in was not helping things Boo, rulers to the knuckles she was already like i'm agnostic why can't you respect that and she had a really difficult time in school so making conversations with other students did not come naturally to her she connected a lot more with like authority figures and teachers rather than other students um and she read so quickly that reading aloud was very difficult for her because her eyes would literally move faster than her tongue could speak and so when they would be like cecilia read aloud she would have a really difficult time and she didn't know like there was no like teacher being like oh i know what's happening to you let me like help you read slower or whatever like it was just all 
hard. And much to everyone's dismay, she was always outperforming everyone at school. In that first year when she was 12 years old, she ended up having the second highest score in the school-wide general knowledge exam. But instead of encouraging her, the principal called an assembly and berated the entire school for letting a 12-year-old get a better, higher grade than them. Get over yourself. Imagine how embarrassing is that? Being Cecilia sitting there and the principal, instead of being like, guys, I think we have a savant among us, being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Cecilia should not be getting higher grades than you. Like, that's horrifying. What the hell is going on there? I cannot imagine doing that to a person Mm -mm. because not only are you embarrassing every student in this in in the body you're making them hate this girl exactly and then also embarrassing her there's not one you know what you know how people don't learn embarrassment yep oh my gosh we have had this discussion many times nobody learns from embarrassment and this made socializing if you can imagine even more difficult as teasing and taunting cecilia became a school-wide sport as the book described it was like How many times can you make Cecilia feel bad about herself today? That was a game that they played, all the students. Horrible. That breaks my heart. Um, And another challenge, like I said earlier, was pretending that she was religious. She saw the Bible as a piece of great literature and just not something to focus an entire school day on. She hated that there were chapels twice a day and Bible classes every day, but no science classes. She found a little way to work around it. She would pretend to faint in chapel to be like moved by the spirit and like pass out so that she could be taken to the nurse's office and sit alone <laughs> and but, read. I mean, she believed God was a woman. So I mean. <laughs> exactly. Um, she also pulled a classic move and she removed the binding from a Bible and wrapped it around a book by Plato. My bitch. I mean, she was not rapping porn. No, <laughs> like, yeah. Like most boys, do. there's like a Playboy inside of their math book. No, it She's was Greek like mythology or like, you know, whatever philosophy, Greek Philo- philosophy, Greek ph- whatever, whatever he did. does, Plato. whatever Plato did. He was um, so, <laughs> so we don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, and, and later, I love this, she would get in trouble while teaching Sunday school because rather than teaching scripture to the young children, she tried to teach them photosynthesis. Well, photosynthesis <laughs> is the, the process where green plants produce their own food. food. That's as far as I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> turning light into, <laughs> I think, food? <laughs> Oxygen and food. I don't know what the words are. I don't know. It's um, not the point. You know why it's not an important song? They might be giants didn't do it. That's true. Because I think, I think what she does is what the They Might Be Giants song is about. Oh. Well, I don't know because I'm not obsessed with that band like you are. So A sun is a mass of incandescent gas. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's her whole thing. Okay. okay. So, so, so. She's not doing a good job in Sunday school. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither, my girl. (laughs) Rescue came in the form of another teacher who plucked Cecilia out of the crowd. The school finally hired a science teacher for a little bit. A young, energetic woman, a woman, because it's an all-girl school, named Dorothy 
Daglish. She recognized Cecilia's brilliant mind immediately, and she started giving her special projects to complete. She started with botany, having Cecilia collect local flora and fauna and sketching it as a way of dissecting it. And soon she became more of a mentor, teaching her about chemistry and physics and astronomy. And she like, and so Cecilia, her mind is like being blown. And she even wins a science contest around this time in which the prize was any book she wanted. <gasps> and What'd she picked... Pick? What did you pick? Harry book? Potter. Nope. <laughs> Wasn't out yet. A textbook on fungi, which horrified the teachers. They were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm also upset about that. I'm just going to say... <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, it a must have been fungi? a good... I mean, it was... Yeah, it was a book on, like, mushrooms and stuff. I mean, I guess a fun guy wrote it, but... <laughs> <laughs> a fun guy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dr. Misty is rolling right now. <laughs> a good <one>. Um <laughs> All these jokes are for you. But... <laughs> She has this teacher for and short. None of them are for Sophia Graf. No. <laughs> what? She's also from England. It's fine. You're all from That's England. true. This episode's for everyone. Um, <laughs> but this was only short lived because after a little bit of time, Ms. Again, another Ms. Just want to give her a shout out. Ms. Daglish fell ill and she had to leave her job because whooping she cough. was so sick. I don't know what she had. I just made that up. But uh-huh. probably whooping cough. Everyone knows. Number one killer of teachers. Um, <laughs> but they, but also the problem was they had just entered World War, World War One, and there was a massive shortage of scientists. So she was without a teacher figure like yet again. Right. But finally, in 1918, she was allowed to transfer for like her last year to St. Paul's Girls School, where she was taught by the famous composer Gustav Holst, who composed the orchestra street, the planet. So this is like a real school with a real teacher. This is like going from open Bible, where I went, to like <laughs> Mercy, where like other students went. So <laughs> there's a difference between a Protestant school uh, like parochial a parochial yes. school and like catholic archdiocese yes where it's like you have a degree to teach versus it's your mission that's that is exactly it and like no offense to my teachers because they were wonderful people great i learned a ton i'm related in most to classes at least two of them um, <laughs> <laughs> um two of the best ones I'm just going to say. Um, Not but the. the thing is, though, you get your wild cards in there. You get your Miss Fowlers. You get your Who are absolute <laughs> lunatics. I don't even know. Miss Fowler had no business teaching whatsoever. She taught us computer. And she. Computer. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> she taught us computer. And then only later did we realize that she was, like, not a real person. The fact like, that the name of the class was computer and the name of the other class is Bible <laughs> blows my mind. I'm sorry. You didn't take Bible and computer? No. <laughs> where, did, where did you go to school? <laughs> well. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So she transfers and Gustav Holst, which is going to mean something to, like, some people who are like, oh, my gosh, Gustav, I love him. Um. Um, and he actually encouraged her to go into music. He was like, you have perfect pitch. You're really good at music. You should be a musician or composer. And she was like, "Mm, no, maybe Mm, I'm going to go into 
science. Well, it's the same amount of brain. I, it makes me sad that people don't value the art of composing the same way that they value scientists. And I'm sure they both make equivalent amounts of money, but I feel like if you're like, I'm a scientist, you like earth scene is very respected. But the, I would say composers are very respected. You think so? Because I, I think so. I feel like unless you have written, like unless you're like the Lynn Manuel Miranda's of the world, where you have like, oh, I've written eighteen songs that can be sung in conjunction with each other, that like people are very much like, oh, really? You're going into the arts? See, I think also I again <laughs> taking it back to one of my customers at Atwaters. She was a flautist for the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. A flautist, and I was constantly amazed by her because she would also like bring friends from the orchestra in and oh, we had wow. this just gonna tutor our own horns here our own flout uh, here we had to store one of their cellos one time and it was very exciting uh i mean I like, also oh, the absolutely. bso is like a big deal it is a big deal yeah i was super excited when the um god what is it called the conductor for the mm -hmm. Baltimore Symphony Orchestra was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me one day. I, I like, mean, what? literally the way you just waved your conductor wand was beautiful. Thank you. I could have been one. Anytime. Um, not to disrespect their career, but I could have been one. <laughs> um, so, okay. Where am I on page three? Um, I keep getting so distracted. Uh, okay. So the next year in 1919, she was awarded a scholarship to study at Newham, Newham College at Cambridge, where she studied botany, chemistry, and physics. So this is a really big deal. So Newham College was kind of like girl Cambridge. So that was like the best that she could do at the time. But it's still really impressive. She got into Cambridge. It's Polly's Western. Yeah. So exactly. So she goes there. She studies botany, chemistry, physics. But after studying all these subjects at a college level she dropped botany after her first year she was like this is really fun and interesting but it's not challenging me the way that the other things are it's like thanks professor sprout but i'll i'll do without yes exactly um so then her life really changed after a lecture by astronomer arthur eddington and his 1919 expedition to the island of principe in the Gulf of Guinea, off the west coast of Africa. So he went there, uh, number one, because he didn't want to go to war because he was a Quaker. <laughs> number two, uh, he was going to observe and photograph the stars near a solar eclipse because he was testing Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity. I don't, I'm going to be honest, I listen to a lot of things about this specific thing and I don't quite understand it. Something about the angles something about the stars something about the eclipse well principe but, is like very close to the equator yes so it's right? kind of like the most central clear point that you can see this from okay because again when you're in this area not only is it right on the equator the very center of the earth but you're also like it's there's no light pollution there's no anything pollution right where he was so like it is the perfect angle to see the eclipse to see the stars and somehow it proved Einstein's theory of relativity. Okay. I didn't That's... know he needed proving. <laughs> but thank you, sir. Some Edward, That's... someone, someone Doyle. That's the gist. So Cecilia goes to this lecture and she is jazzed. And she is so excited by this. And she 
goes back to her dorm room. She writes down the entire lecture pretty much word for word from memory because again, she's so smart and she stays up for three days untangling it. And she's like, okay, astronomy is the tits. It's my whole fucking life now. This was her actual quote. She said, the result was a complete transformation of my world picture. My world had been so shaken that I experienced something very like a nervous breakdown. So this is it. She's now found her real true passion. So she keeps studying and she completes all of the work for her bachelor's degree. But she's not allowed to have an actual official bachelor's degree because Cambridge just didn't do that until 1948. We don't we don't do that. Um I'm sorry, you wanted a degree? We were just going to give you the class. We were just going to give you a lollipop at the end. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. wow. Someone wow. is a little greedy. <laughs> <laughs> Get off of your high home. Wow. wow. So she complete. Uh, so she's like, okay, what do I do now? And her professors are like, well, you teach. And she said, oh, like college? And I said, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Like primary school. And she said, well, I don't want to teach primary school. And they said, well, you can still do astronomy on the side while being a full-time teacher. Cue every teacher rolling their eyes because no one seems to get how much work and effort goes into teaching. Which, again, is so fucking irritating. It's irritating and it's irritating in two ways. Like every woman who's smart should not be told to be a teacher. But also like every teacher who chooses to teach primary school should not be thought of as an idiot like oh you're a babysitter no you're teaching the most fundamental skills of human existence we need to have like all master every teacher gets their masters within the first nine years in maryland i want to tell you that but you we need to have like all doctors in teaching primary schools like this it's fundamental brain development and you're telling me that you think it's cake yeah excuse me you got to wipe a couple of boogers. So what? You're also teaching somebody like their whole foundation of life. <laughs> and this is like the exact fucking root of the problem is like all these people in their like highfalutin science labs are like, yeah, why don't you just go teach elementary school? And it's like, and do astronomy on the side as if like that's one readily available to do and two possible when again, you have a full-time job as a teacher. Like I just, I don't understand the disconnect and why people don't understand that people. Okay. I'm just going to say one word. Pedagogy. Mm. The art, the skill, the study of teaching. Well, it's funny. It's, you know, why? here's why I think why. So, you know how after you've been to a place, like let's say you went to the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. After you've been there, you like understand all the words and you're like, oh, I've seen that place. I've done that place. I've done that thing. So, I, if I hear about a place in the Netherlands, I'm like, I don't know where that is. I don't think about that. But because everyone's gone to school, they think they get it. Yes. Yeah. Mm. They're like, I've seen a teacher. I know what they do. I know what a teacher does. Like, (laughs) do you really? Do you really? They don't. So, but it just so happens at this time, she meets a guy by the name of Harlow Shapley. And she's talking to him and she goes, hey, do you know of any opportunities in the U.S.? Because it is just not fucking happening here in Great Britain. And he goes, oh, my gosh, I am the director 
of the Harvard University Observatory. And I literally just established a graduate program for astronomy. Of course he did. So she's like, can I come? And she is soon on her way to Harvard. And in 1923, she moves to the U.S. to join the other female student he had recruited, Adelaide Ames. This program made these women human computers, whose job it was to document the spectral classes of stars. This particular program started years before when Edward Charles Pickering famously stated that his Irish maid could do better work than the men he was employing. That Irish maid was, of course, another... Dr. Misty Ben's request from a while ago, Wilhelmina Fleming. We did her. We did her. And it was such a great episode. I really highly recommend people listen to it. I saw her um, She was like the founding member of the Harvard Computers. And here is Cecilia Payne becoming a Harvard Computer. Which is so fucking cool. And again, I just feel like everything's adding up. So... Cecilia came to work early. She stayed late. Sometimes she stayed so late that the people of Cambridge thought that the ghost of famous astronomer Henrietta Swan Leavitt had moved into her old office. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. She's obviously inspiring. Um, But the thing that really got her through all these late nights was Adelaide Ames. The two became the very best of friends and they were inseparable. They even had a nickname that all the faculty and, you know, other scientists called them uh, the Heavenly Twins. How cute is that? The Heavenly Twins. Because they're into outer space. I know. It's just like, it's the best. And this is all just so exciting to Cecilia because her shy nature and forward thinking had kept her from having a lot of close friends. And then comes Adelaide, who was super fun and outgoing, and she really brought Cecilia out of her shell. They even became bridge partners <gasps> in weekly games against another famous female astronomer, Annie Jump Cannon. You are kidding me. Here's the thing about bridge. Why does it come up in all of our stories? I don't know. Apparently, we have to play. We have to play. I need to learn how to play bridge. <laughs> I did... Um, um, yeah, I got really mad at a client recently because he was like, well, I'm sorry, but you can only come at this time, which was a really inconvenient time for me because he was like, I'm in an online bridge tournament. I was like, I don't even know what you're fucking talking about. That's a about. lie. He's a swinger. You're lying. I feel like that's swinger code word. Definitely. <laughs> um, Leave your keys at the <laughs> And Cecilia and Adelaide also had a really fantastic relationship with the director who had recruited them. Howard Shapley. They referred to him as their dear director because he was always encouraging them in their own research and he always believed in them. And he had really kind of started like he wanted to expand the astronomy program. And the only way the university would kind of let him bring women into it is if he was like, oh, they'll just be Harvard computers, Mm. kind of downplaying it as like, I'm going to hire more Harvard computers. It's going to be fine. Like, but also because he's like, you just need to get in the door and then I can work with you to move up once you're here. But this is how I kind of get you in. Like, it's like he like snuck them into this astronomy department. Hey, listen, whatever it takes, man. Uh, seriously, Shapley is fantastic. Um, so this is the environment she is in when she starts her research on her biggest project, her doctoral thesis. This will result in her being the first person 
to earn a PhD in astronomy from Harvard. Get out of here. Because again, the program is new. And just to give you a heads up, this has been called the most brilliant thesis ever written in astronomy. So get your fucking hopes up now. This thesis is called Stellar Atmospheres, a contribution to the observational study of high temperature and the reversing layers of stars. This literally changed the way scientists saw and interpreted the fucking universe. No colons? No colons. Damn it. I know. I love a colon. I know. There's a a semicolon. Okay. A semicolon. In the title? That's what I copy and pasted from Wikipedia. Maybe doesn't it's a, a miscold. Doesn't a semicolon mean you started a sentence? There's a sentence on the other side of the uh, sentence? I don't know. I don't know. Marjorie! I had bad pedagogy. Um, so anyways, uh, so she is literally discovering what the stars and the sun and the universe are actually made of. So to give you a little background, the general thought at the time was that the stuff in the sky was comprised of the same stuff that was here on earth we have 118 or so elements here on earth so they must have the same amount on the sun the sun was like the earth but on fire that's what they thought oh earth on fire which is well where we will be in a couple years so it's not that hard to imagine right now right uh but they're so they're saying that they think the sun and the earth are made of the same stuff yes okay exactly that's not right it's not right (laughs) (laughs) and we know that now because of cecilia i think i've learned something in my life and i think that's wrong (laughs) so but when cecilia's studying the spectrum of stars she kept seeing the same sequence of elements in the stars and something was off I also want to make it clear. I'm going to sound fairly confident when I say these next few things. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Good. Because again. Do it. I went to Christian school. Um, We don't believe in stars. (laughs) Um, That's God's winking at us. Uh, That was day two of the uh, creation story. Uh, So. um, I'm confused. Okay. So she kept seeing the same sequence of elements in the stars and something was off. Scientists originally thought that they had just discovered that there are seven different types of stars. But Cecilia said, I think we're thinking of this from the wrong angle. We're looking at the spectrum of stars via the elements when we should be interpreting them as temperatures. Because the higher the temperature, the more ionization, which would describe the weird pattern she was seeing. But she still had to figure out which elements were ionizing on these stars. So she's like, okay. Everything here is different than on Earth. Something different is going on. So it must be more specific than we're giving it credit for. So using the ionization equation founded by the Indian scientist Meghnad Saha, she sets about trying to match the absorption rate to an element. And bingo, it matches up perfectly with the element elements hydrogen and helium. Oh, so she says... The stars are not made out of Earth. Yeah. They're made out of hydrogen and helium. Yeah. So when Lion King makes that joke with Simba and Pumbaa and Timon laying in the grass. Yeah, Cecilia to thank. Thanks, Cecilia. Thanks, Cecilia. For Lion King. You won an Oscar. Did you, you know? You won an Oscar. <laughs> Did you know? And that's the thing. She's like, oh, my God. I think the sun and the stars are actually only like 
two elements. She's like, other elements do definitely exist in the sun and the stars. But what's literally a million times more prominent on the sun and the stars is hydrogen and helium, which makes sense because they're the lightest elements. I don't even understand how you figure that out without like being on the sun. Something about spectrums. That's like I, wavelengths. That's wavelengths sent yes. to you. I, I, I watched so many things about this and I could not tell you. All right. She's so excited. She's like, guys, we can now determine the history of the stars, the sun and the universe. So she brings it to her doctoral thesis advisor, this guy, Henry Norris Russell. And she goes, look what I found. It's incredible. And he goes, Bitch, you can't publish this. Are you fucking crazy? Everyone knows that the same elements that are here are up there. It's just a fact. <laughs> he says, I understand what you're trying to say, and I understand that your calculations are dead right, but it's literally impossible for this to be true. You're dead and right. I was listening to the science podcast talk about this, and the guy was saying he was like, sexism may have had something to do with this. That is for sure. But the more thing that is, the more prominent thing that is crippling to the world of science is bias against the unfamiliar. It's really scary to stick your neck out and say that every single other scientist that you know is wrong. Can you imagine? I can't. Like, that's a really scary thing. And I know, like, and sexism, then to, to back up that it's a woman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely sexism. You cannot deny as a part of this, especially because of what happens in a bit. But I do understand what he's saying about like the, the scariness and the fear of the unfamiliar. It would be like if you told someone photosynthesis and photosynthesis isn't real. And you're like, yes, it is. What do you mean? Everybody's been taught that forever. Everybody's been taught that forever. And you're like, it's actually not. It's hard. So he dissuades her and she says, okay. And she ends up not publishing her thesis as is. She still gets her paper out, but it says something along the lines of like, here's my research, but it must be a mistake. She discredits herself in her own PhD thesis. I hate it. I hate it. And she still gets her PhD, but they kind of sweep her paper under the rug as kind of like a, an anomaly. So for the next few years, she continues bopping around the science world, doing research, looking at stars. And guess who publishes a groundbreaking paper all about how the sun and stars are comprised mainly of helium and hydrogen? Mr. Boy. Henry Norris Russell! Go away. Like, what? Go away, Mr. Man. And Me too. And still to this day... He is commonly referred to as the brilliant mind who made this vital discovery, making Cecilia another victim of the Matilda effect. And let's be clear. He's the one who told her not to publish it. So there's no, you can't even claim ignorance. You can't even be like, oh, he was around at the same time. So maybe he just didn't read her paper and discovered it on his own. Bullshit. No, he knew a hundred percent. Where this fucking came from. But life goes on. And like so many other women in science and in many other fields around this time, she just had to keep going. 
What is she going to do? Literally, what is she going to do? She can't do anything. She can't do anything. Amal Clooney didn't exist to be like, I'll stand up for you. So she becomes a U.S. citizen in 1931, officially, and she continues her research, and she started to teach astronomy uh, at the college level. Um, But she specifically started studying high-luminosity stars so that one day she could provide a layout of the Milky Way. That was her goal. She's like, I want to map the fucking Milky Way. But in 1932, she lost her heavenly twin. Her very, very best friend, Adelaide Ames, drowned in a boating accident. My God, that's like her dad. Yeah. I know. Water's coming for you, girl. Water's coming for her. And she is just devastated. She, like, doesn't want know what to do. She feels lost. So she's like, all right. What would Adelaide want me to do? WWAD. WWAD. <laughs> so she decides that she is going to make herself get out there and overcome her crippling shyness. So in 1933, she decides to go on a tour of Europe. She's like, this is going to be great. I'm going to see the world. I'm going to attend some kick-ass lectures. It's going to be amazing. So she attends this astronomy conference, and she has no idea that at this very conference, there is a young astrophysicist from Russia named Sergei Kaposhkin, whose dream it is to meet her. He sounds cute. So Sergei Kaposhkin was a young scientist who came from a literal like dirt poor countryside of Russia, and he worked his way up to this very impressive career studying eclipsing binary stars. And... uh, While he's doing his work, while he's studying, one of the pieces he admired most just so happened to be written by none other than Cecilia Payne. He was also fascinated by her because as an immigrant himself, because he's studying like in Germany from Russia in an increasingly divisive Europe, he felt like a real outsider in the science world. And again, much like Cecilia, like wished that gender wasn't a factor in how people looked at her. He wished the same of his nationality. He goes, God, I just wish people would stop thinking of me as Russian and start thinking of me as a fucking scientist. One of the things you really need to know about Sergei is that around the time he met Cecilia, so like literally right before, he had been fired from his job because they suspected that he was a Russian spy. No. But then when he tried to go home to Russia, they wouldn't let him in because they thought he was a German spy. He literally had nowhere to go. So once he heard that the great Dr. Cecilia Payne was going to be at this astronomy conference, he was like, this is literally my only chance. Maybe if she just reads my work and thinks that it's good enough, she could get me a job at Harvard and I could go to the U.S. and escape what the hell is going on in Europe right now. Not an easy time to be in Europe. No. So he gets on his bicycle (laughs) and he rides 150 miles to this conference okay Lance Armstrong just to meet Cecilia so he gets there and he starts scanning the room and he's not seeing her he's really bummed and he is looking around and he says like I'm looking for Dr. Payne and someone's like yeah she's right fucking there he had been looking for an older woman and there is the beautiful 33 year old Cecilia and he can't believe it He said she was like a ripe peach untouched on a tree. Same age as her mother. Beautiful on the outside, sweeter on the inside because of her fucking brain. Perfect. I know. So he sits kind of near her 
And when there's a break in the conference, he gives her his manuscript and he's like, this is my life story, my life's work. Just read it. Like learn about what I've done, what I'm working on. And here's my please- mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, if you could just read it and consider helping me, I would really appreciate it. She stays up all night reading this manuscript. She was completely moved and inspired. And the next day, she sought him out and was like, bitch, we're getting you out of here. So she pulls some strings and helps him travel to the U.S. And just three months after his arrival in Boston, the two eloped with her dear director Shapley's blessing. She wrote to Shapley later saying, I never dreamed this kind of happiness could be for me. These love stories. These are love stories. They are love stories. And I love it because they were around the same age. So he was like, literally, how could someone my age be so much more accomplished than me? And as a woman, this is incredible. And not like, how could you do it? Because you're a woman. But he's like, we're in the same boat. Like, it's hard for us. He's like, like, he's showing up expecting to find some old woman doctor. And he's like, oh, exactly. She's she's a fox. And similar to her parents, they just complimented each other and she was so happy she loved being a wife and eventually a mother to three children edward catherine and peter and as we remember her as this hard-working trailblazer her children remember her as an inspired seamstress an inventive knitter and a voracious reader which i think is like kind of a testament to that she was doing so much cool shit in the science world but she was also just being like a mom a cozy like cool mom yeah. you know what i'm saying like that's how her kids saw her and like i don't think they realized until later they're like oh my gosh she figured out what the sun was made of yeah i mean <laughs> it's very it is it is very encouraging i think to mothers like to yes. mothers who work when they can yes. see like you can be a mom and you can work and your kids don't need to know yeah and she said something about that at one point where she was like i couldn't believe when i actually got a home and a husband how much i loved just like cooking him dinner and doing this and she was like I always thought that if I ever settled for that it would be settling and I would be giving up something and I would be giving up my career and who I was and she was like I didn't realize that you could be both and it's such a it's such a cool statement on like what men have not had to do for so long they can have a job and be a cool awesome fun great loving father yeah and it's like women can do that too actually actually so that you know Exactly. So in 1934, she received the very first Annie Jump Cannon Award. And in 1938, after a very long campaign from director Shapley, she was finally officially acknowledged as an astronomer. She was a person doing astronomy work, but she was finally given like the title of like, you can call yourself an astronomer now. Thanks. Thanks guys. Um, And then a few years later, while Cecilia and Sergei were living, working, raising their children, they realized that something bad was happening in the U.S. They kept seeing Japanese friends and neighbors disappearing and being taken away to internment camps. And Cecilia was like, what the fuck is going on? We have to do something. So she and Sergei actually opened up their home to people who were in danger of being taken away. And so they helped people avoid the internment camps and they also hosted gatherings and created a group called the forum on international problems so that people could come together and discuss what was going on and how wrong it was and how they could help because she was like all right 
we're smart people. Let's think about this logically. This is not okay. We have to do things to help people. Um, but unfortunately, that's all I can find on this part of her life. I'm sure it existed in one of the later chapters that was not free on Amazon. Um, <laughs> but one of the podcasts was talking about it and I wanted to be like, hold up. Can you please go back to that? Like <laughs> what, what was going on? Like more, please. Thank tell you. Tell me more. Yeah. Um, but all I tell know me is more, tell me more. <laughs> like, did she work for human rights? Yeah, exactly. So apparently she was doing this and she really helped some people. Um, but in 1956, um, she became the first woman to be promoted to full professor from within the faculty at Harvard's Faculty of Arts and Sciences. Which is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And then with her appointment to the chair of the Department of Astronomy, she became the first woman to head a department at Harvard. She retired from teaching in 1966 and was subsequently appointed Emeritus Professor of Harvard. She continued her research as a member of staff at the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory, as well as editing the journals and books published by Harvard for nearly like 20 years. She won many awards through her lifetime, but in 1976, she was awarded the prestigious Henry Norris Russell Prize. Oh my God. Can you imagine this is the guy that stole her thesis, and she gets the award I named after him. I don't know if I would be, like, happy to hang it. <laughs> and, like, I would burn it. I would be so angry. As a teacher, I would probably nix his name with a red pen and point an arrow from my name up to where his name was. Yeah. Because if she had published that paper, she would have been burnt at the stake like a witch. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yep. He probably gave her good advice. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's kind of the kicker is that like he did give her good advice for the time. Like, like, like nobody's going to believe, no believe you, but also I believe you, but also I'm going to say it, prove so it for myself. Me. Yeah. It, it fucking sucks because he took her theory, proved it for himself. And then published it by himself. He wasn't like, hey, I was wrong. I think you should publish this paper on your own because you were the one who fucking discovered it. So. Okay. 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 She graciously, I think, stuck it to him in her acceptance speech. She made a really great speech about her lifelong devotion and love of science. And she said, the reward of the young scientist is the emotional thrill of being the first person in the history of the world to see something or understand something. Nothing can compare with that experience, which I think is such a classy way to be like, yeah, Henry Norris Russell, nothing compares to being the first person to realize something. Mm. So you dick, you dick. <laughs> okay, <laughs> boy. <laughs> That's what she was saying. Really. That's what she was saying. Uh, those were the notes. Those were the side those, notes yep. in her speech. <laughs> Just a few years later, in 1979, she passed away in her home on December, December 7th, 1979. She is remembered as a brilliant woman who not only inspires women still to this day to enter the field of science, but as the person who really showed us what makes a star. <laughs> Cece! And that's Cece Payne! Cece? I know. 
So now I think we need to uh, compare these two incredibly smart, wonderful, beautiful, perfect people <laughs> in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us Love Stories. They're love stories. Total love story. And I like that they were both the footnotes of their lives. It's not like, oh, I found you and it made me better. It's like I had my life and then I found you and then it made me better. Yeah, because I, I love that because I've been seeing this a lot for a couple of years on like the Internet and stuff where it's like the notion shouldn't be like you complete me because you're still like a whole person. You add to me yourself. You add to me and like you compliment me. And I think that both of them found those relationships later, later in life. 33 and 36 in their thirties, which I think is really cool. And especially in their time period. Yes. It's much more popular now, which is actually why divorce is going down in the United States, Mm -hmm. because it is popular to find somebody later in your thirties and say like, Oh, this is the match I've been waiting for. Not like rushing into old maidhood. Yes, no, exactly. And I think that that was exactly their mindset of like, I'm not going to do it if it's not right. Yeah. And it led to them being, I think truly happy and I mean, they're both, I mean, they both were college professors. Yes. They're both dealing with human rights. They are yep. both super bright and multilingual. There's just so many comparisons. And I also feel like they both are doing just like the dream of feminism of like, when I picture feminism, like, you know, I picture like cool women who are like being lawyers and being scientists and like being mothers if they choose to be and like winning scholarships and like going to school and it's so interesting because I feel too that Cecilia took this notion of like feminism and also applied it to like I may not be good socially I may not have a boyfriend I may have you know my one best friend but I am going to tell you when I'm, you know, when I made a discovery, I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to tell you that. And like, she kept pushing herself in her career, even though it was probably not her first instinct. No. And Cecilia was very much like, Hey, you know what? And it's the same that we've said with other astronomers, how they find things is, you know what? Hey, there's this pattern I'm seeing and I'd like to explore this pattern. And I feel like Amal Clooney is like that, but in civil rights, like, Hey, you know what? There's this pattern I'm seeing where these people keep getting arrested for violating their country's laws. And I think it's wrong that Mm -hmm. we're putting them in prison. So I'm just going to fight a lot of cases like that because you know what? I know how to do that. Yeah. When it's seeing a problem because you see a pattern and then solving it. And, and like, of course, like, I think one of the differences is that, you know, Cecilia is solving a problem that can be understood. It's like, yes, I understand now that the sun is predominantly comprised of helium and hydrogen. Right. But Amal is studying these more grand social issues of like, I don't know how to fix this, but I know it's a problem and I want to bring your attention to it because, and I want to... And even more than drawing your attention to it, she's like, I'm going to try and convict people on this. Or if I am hired to do so, defend people on it because I believe in a justice system where everyone gets a free and fair trial. And I think it's it's part of them going to and teaching at these prestigious 
universities, and I'm glad you brought up Jocelyn Bell Brunell in this because I'm sure both of them at some point had imposter syndrome, which JBB was Boy. big on. She and and she's a present day contemporary. So is Amal Clooney, who like. When I see Amal Clooney, I don't see her walk into a space and look intimidated. Maybe no. it's her height. Maybe it's her power suit. Or maybe she's internalizing it better. Yeah. And I I just, she is a standout in the world. The way that, like, she stands on the red carpet in her dress and just says, yeah, you know what? My husband's a star, but I'm actually the queen of this situation. Yeah. Um, pulling strings. They both, they both were able to pull strings for people. I think... So I think Amal Clooney is trying to pull every string she can to get people out of prison who don't deserve to be in prison or to make sure that people who were bad people are getting the just punishment that they deserve but then doesn't exceed what they should get. Yeah. And I think that when you're talking about this young, you know, male, almost refugee-style scientist is coming to her like for help and she ends up falling in love with him, but she pulls strings for him before that, before no, they fall absolutely. in love. She's like, okay, well you're in a really bad situation. It's the 1930s in Europe. And like, nobody really wanted to be there then. <laughs> like, yeah. So let me get you out of here. No, exactly. And I think that the thing that I love about how Sergey came to Cecilia is he read her papers. He totally like, respected this woman before he ever met her and then he was like oh my gosh we're like the same age I think you're beautiful and like I think that you're brilliant and I feel like you kind of have the same thing with George and Amal if he's like I think you are number one brilliant I think you're number one the most smart intelligent person I've ever met in my life I don't think he went to this um you know, event in Italy that night expecting to find her. No. I think he was scanning the room like the way that you described yeah. Sergey <laughs> uh, riding on his little bicycle. And I know George Clooney didn't show up on a bicycle, but whatever. <laughs> He's like scanning the room and like Sergey couldn't find her because he was expecting yeah. somebody older. And George Clooney scans the room and like locks on her. Yeah. Like, but then, okay, maybe she's just a pretty woman. But then he talks to her and yeah. is blown away blown away blow us all away my girl <laughs> blow us all away which she did and she yeah. is still no, she definitely did and i think that's what happened with both of them we're like oh my god you're amazing and the thing is i feel like both of them are doing this kind of behind the scene work because amal is constantly on these teams of lawyers on these very high profile cases. So like you're saying things that like this case, this case and that case. And you're like, yeah, that's pinging things in my brain. I I've heard of that. I kind of get it, but you aren't picturing Amal Clooney doing those late night hours. You're not picturing her stressed out in a courtroom, trying to find justice, whatever way she can. And you're doing the same thing with Cecilia. You're hearing that joke in Lion King about, oh, I don't think those are the great kings. I think those are just balls of gas in the sky. And you're not seeing the work that Cecilia Payne put into it because these are just things that we accept as common, I don't even know, knowledge or things. But we're forgetting that there are very important women behind these things. But you know what else is also funny? I don't picture either of them as mothers. No. 
I didn't or wives right. even honestly I mean yeah I know we do picture Amal Clooney as like George Clooney's wife but like when we're talking about their careers I'm picturing them solely as like f- these free agents yeah you're a lawyer you're a scientist yes but really they're also wives and mothers that went through labor and possibly breastfeeding or formula feeding or a c-section or all these things that women are and it's just you don't have to compartmentalize women is what is so cool about these two ladies yeah is because they're solely seen as professionals yep when they're also wives and mothers i didn't even know that amal had children (laughs) birthed twins i didn't even know that i just like and i just i think it's great that their careers have just been like yeah this is it and then that's that and also a footnote. And both <laughs> exist. Oh, here we are. And both are important to me. And you can take what you will from it, you know? Listen, could, like, could there be a better comparison between these two women? They've lived such similar lives. I, I don't, I don't know, honestly. Like, I just, I think they were both so interesting to compare because, yeah, they're both just professional women with great, great love stories. Yeah. That are just doing really good behind the scenes work for the world i'm blown away blown away i love it (laughs) are you ready to toast these i am ready who would you like to toast okay i i'm very clean and simple okay i want to toast the shakers the changers Mm. the beautiful kick-ass money makers like do it do it cheers to you cheers to you Who do you got? I am going to toast women who keep going. I feel like there were so many times in Cecilia's life where she was being told to stop. Not directly, but she was being told that, like, science isn't important. That's why we're not funding this department. Science isn't important. That's why, like, we're putting you in Bible classes three times a day. And even when she got to school, it's like, Women's science isn't important. That's why we're not giving you a degree. Mm. And she just kept being told that what she was doing wasn't important. And there she is making the biggest scientific discovery of the 20th century or 21st, whatever century we're fucking in. But you know what I'm saying? She's like doing exactly what she needs to be doing, even though everyone is telling her not to do it. And or implying, I guess I should say, that she should not be doing it. So I just want to toast her because she kept going. And I think that's a really important thing to to say right now when we are all struggling, <laughs> when we are seeing Trump get the Nobel, we will get nominated for, for the, the Nobel, Nobel Peace, Peace Prize. Prize. And there are just so many times a day where I feel like nothing's getting better, but there are women behind the scenes making things better when like how could amal clooney not be nominated for the nobel peace prize but donald trump is is the question is the question i mean but really just the sun is a ball of gas the sun is a ball of gas that's all you need to know thank you cc <laughs> thank you cc cheers to you <laughs> Okay. All right. What do you have for me in pop culture this week? So I was struggling because I have not been able to consume technology Mm -hmm. this week because all I'm doing is like staring at a computer with students, which is like 
listen, it's my life work and I'll do it. Like I'll do whatever yeah. it takes to talk to these kids and to tell them it's okay through the computer. And when they're like, I'm so sorry I got kicked out and I keep interrupting class. That's what a child said to me. They keep getting kicked out and I had to like keep oh like accepting them back in. Um, because, you know, you can't just like accept all because then any bogus person could come into the meeting. Oh. So it's like I, I there's like a door, you know, and it's like I have yeah. to click and they are, they're saying sorry. And I'm like, hey, my girl. I'd much rather, her name's Sarah, <laughs> I would much rather continue to invite you in than you not exist. So, like, thank you for being here. But also, I'm done with technology after the yeah. day is over. I'm like, I don't want to touch it. I barely want to edit our podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm so tired of looking at a computer. So, when you brought up the fact that uh, Cece's mother was a, an artist who copied things, I couldn't help but think of the show White Collar. I've, I don't know that. Oh, okay. Is it called White or White? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, because I think Willie Garson is in it. Stanford Blatch. Yes, but he is. I've never seen this show. I don't know what He's it's about. In it, also the girl who looks, who I like to say looks like me from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> I know exactly. Who you're talking brown-haired girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in it, an older version of herself, and she's married to the FBI agent, and they have a wonderful relationship, I think, in the show, where, like, they just talk to each other about their careers. And Kelly like, Kapowski? Yeah, Kelly. She's like, tell me what happened in your day, and then he trusts her, and she trusts him, and whatever. But the show is about somebody who went to prison because they're very good at copying and selling art. Oh, shit. No way. Yeah. And it is, White Collar is astounding because, A... The guy who can do it is beautiful, like the most pretty version of producer you've ever seen. <laughs> White guy, blue eyes, great hair. He's also gay in real life, although he does not play a gay person in the show. Okay. Um, and then his friend is Stanford Blatch. I would like to watch it because we're um, halfway through season two of Avatar. I you actually, I couldn't listen to your half of our episode from last week because I started it after we did Katara. And now that I'm in it, I don't want to spoil things for myself. It's like, because, I don't want to know the end. Yeah, because I remember certain things from what you said, but I don't, now that I have context for everything, I don't want to spoil it for myself. So I can only listen to half of this week's episode. Listen, I, I cannot <laughs> think of a show from the last five years that I've enjoyed more than white collar perfect because we need something else so I'm gonna is it on Netflix it is excellent crime love it rich people obviously the white collar thing yeah but also just like jovial fun it shows you the good bad side of cops and the good bad side of criminals perfect which is so fun love it and Sanford Blatch is in it Ugh. What more could you do? So why not? Okay. Sorry, that took so long. No, no, no. What you're fine. are you? Because I literally had something and you can see that I crossed it out on my paper and put something else. Okay. So I am going to recommend, speaking of non-technology, a paper book that I just finished called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. It was a book that, again, it was one of those books that was calling for me from the bookshelves. It has a really cute cover. And so I picked it up. I read it. And it is just an incredible book about how, like, 
well-meaning white people can be like real fucked up yeah and the whole like there's literally a scene where these two white characters are like arguing about who is the least racist and it's this thing and like and the the main protagonist of the story who is like this 25 year old black girl living in philadelphia and she's like guys i'm just trying to get fucking health insurance okay you know and it, it's just it's this incredible book and it's so good and i would also highly recommend uh, trevor noah had this author kylie reed on his show and he interviewed her about the book it's a little segment but it's really good just about how she navigates these situations because she is like the book is awkward because this is an awkward situation because the main character is a, a young black girl who is a babysitter for this wealthy white family. And basically in the very first little bit of the book, she gets accused of kidnapping this young white child and things spiral from there. So it's uncomfortable the way that you're like, when you're watching Michael Scott, you're like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Yeah. And then you just, but you're in it. Yeah. But you're in it. And she portrays the characters as, so genuine and the the I, like the conversations is so realistic and and real and i just i loved the book so much so i highly recommend reading it um such a fun age by kylie reed it was really good and a very easy read like i breeze through it great so that's it um i can't wait to read yeah it. it's great uh so yeah so that's it um thank you for listening i mean i'm all Cecilia, I hope we did you justice. I hope we did you justice. Misty, Sophia, thank you. Thank you. This was so great. What great recommendations. So we hope this episode was fulfilling. Uh, No buzzard this week, but we're praying for next week. Um. (laughs) There was rain, though. There was rain. And, but most importantly, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That would be the best. It's the best we thing. We would love that. Find so, us everywhere. Uh, just mention the buzzard if you can on Apple Podcasts. That would mean the world to Actually, us. Actually, you know what? If you mention <laughs> the buzzard in a review. We will send you a sticker. In the mail. We in will send you a mail. sticker. And even if we've, if we've already sent you a sticker, then we'll send we'll you send something you else. One. Something no, else. Something I have, different. I actually have something better I Ooh, can send you. What? I have a little... A playing card that has a, a drink recipe on it. And I will just send you a random one in the mail. Oh my God. That's it. That's it. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it, send it to us so we know it was you. We know where to send it to. With a buzzard in it. With a bu- <laughs> it has to have a buzzard. It has to have a buzzard in so it. So it's a new one. Even it's if you've already one. done one, you'll do a new one with a buzzard. <laughs> and we will send you a free cocktail playing card. A random one. It's going to be great. You won't even. It's like a Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh playing playing card. (laughs) Or an LOL doll for our young listeners. So. I'm so glad my children hang out here. This is the new challenge. Um, So leave us a review with a buzzer. You'll get a playing card. It'll be fantastic. But and to our Patreon oh, and our yes. new, we have a new Patreon, Miss Krista. Krista. Our Patreons, you're going to get the whole set. I can't wait till quarantine is over so we can go see Miss Krista up in, in New York. York. It's going to be great. We're going to make a special trip. We'll see her. We'll see Beyond Reproach. It'll be amazing. Whenever this is over, I guess them too. Probably them. Probably them. So, but it's going to be great. So thank you, Miss Krista. 
for making our cocktails, for signing up for Patreon. We appreciate you so much. And you're going to get a whole free set of playing cards. A whole set. We're going to mail them to you. We will. We promise. Um, But most importantly, I know I said that before, but I'm going to say it again. We want you to never forget that well-behaved women don't judge books by their covers. They don't. But you should. But you should. I do. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) And they rarely make history. Goodbye. Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye